Welcome. I'm Harmony Slater, your host of the Finding Harmony podcast. Over the past 20 years, I've taught thousands of yoga teachers and students to explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and modern everyday life, using mind-body practices to heal, awaken, and manifest their dreams from the inside out. This podcast is a sanctuary for those feeling overwhelmed by life's challenges. Are you ready to jump in and discover how these challenges aren't actually in the way, but are the way to finding harmony? Let's invite the magic back in. Oh my God, we've reached 200 episodes. Can you believe it? It's been four years of podcasting for me and the Finding Harmony podcast. And I'm just thrilled that you've been with us through this journey, all of the different iterations. And today we are having a fun and festive reflections uh, chat, Russell and I, looking at some of our favorites and your favorite episodes. And I also wanted to remind you that this is the last week to get into B-School. So get your buns into B-School. It is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. There's zero risk. And you also get lifetime access once you join B-School. You're a B-Schooler for life. You get to continue retaking the program every year with Marie and her team of coaches. It's an amazing program, life-changing, and a beautiful opportunity for you to really make this the year that you bring your dream business or expand the business that you've already started and you're already working in, expand it and bring it into a bigger sphere so that you can reach more people, heal more people, touch more hearts, increase consciousness on the planet. There's so many beautiful things that are just on the other side waiting for you. I would love to be the coach to help you get there, to mentor you, to create that support and accountability and the steps forward and the follow through so that you can really, really change the world with your heart. I know your hearts are incredible and that if there's a dream there that you want to bring to life this year, B-School's the way to go. It's the program that's going to get you there. And I would love to mentor you and be your coach through the whole program. So come on inside, find the links in the show notes in my Instagram bio. And if you have any questions at all, just shoot me a DM, DM me on Instagram, or you feel free to email me. I'm here for you. And uh, I would just love to support you through this incredible process. It's so enriching. It's so high vibe. It's just life changing. And I want that for you. I want you to have not only your life transformed, but also to see all of the transformation you're bringing into the world and all of the people whose lives and hearts you're touching. So much good can come from this because wellness is the way forward, spiritual wellness, mental, emotional, physical wellness. I'm here for you. So let's jump in to this fun, fun, fun episode where we are going to look at some of the amazing humans that we've connected with who have changed our lives and also changed the lives of millions of students, practitioners, uh, clients, people, humans um, from their own businesses and their own offerings into the world. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony. Slater. And this is 
Russell Case. This is your co-host, Russell. Uh, the, the people at home have no idea how many takes <laughs> it took for you to do the thing that you've done literally hundreds of times. I know. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to our 200th episode of the so, Finding Harmony podcast. So you <laughs> you brought me down here because you wanted to talk about our relationship. That's what you said. <laughs> no. I thought you wanted to talk a talk about you wanted to have a talk. You We're said. gonna talk about all of our podcast episodes, all two hundred of them. Oh man! <laughs> so all right, well, probably what we should do if we're going to do that we should probably we should look and see what the analytics say about what the best what our listeners at home yeah what are they like because that's that's really when if you're sitting at home you're doing your yoga like you're you're kind of like mixing up orange juice and protein powder and you're trying to like figure out like you're listening to the podcast and you're like I want to know what what I I want to know what they think of me okay right that woman that that our demographic. Yeah, she wants to know what podcast she liked the most. What did she like the most? All right, so our top 10. You want our top 10? We're going to do top five to keep this short because you said in the new year, we're going to keep these to an hour. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. So coming in at number five. Oh, you want to so do far, that? Yeah. Top five. Of all time. I thought we were going to go from the top down. No, we're going backwards. That's how they do it. Oh, man. So, coming in at number five of most listened to podcast episodes, we have Mark Roberts, God of Thunder. God of Thunder. Yes. I I, uh, came to like a resolution with that when I started studying with Professor Rao, Nagaraj Mm -hmm. Rao. Mm -hmm. Um, He said, in his, you know, the beautiful way that they're able to, you know, recite scriptures, whatever. He's basically said something like, you know, just as the honeybee collects the nectar of many different flowers, the student should also take the nectar from different teachers. Oh, that's and I was beautiful. like, oh, yeah, I was like, that's me. Like, that's how yeah. I kind of view my learning process, you know, like, um, the Ishtanga and Sharath and Tavi Joy's Eileen, I learned certain qualities from them, mm-hmm. but I needed to learn philosophy from Professor Rao. I needed yeah. to go somewhere else to learn about chanting, or I needed, and then when it came to physicality, I needed to go outside of Ashtanga to learn more. Mm-hmm. I remember lots of things about Mark himself. Oh, Mark's so good looking. <laughs> That's what I remember about Mark. He's so pretty. I remember telling Mark on the podcast that I was doing like 30 pull-ups a day. And he was like, hmm, that was really appreciative <laughs> yeah. of that, which was yeah. cool. And it's I cool think to we impress a good looking young man like that. <laughs> we looked at how different movement styles and ways of moving your body were helpful for overall functional movements and maybe doing the same thing every day, how doing the same thing every day isn't that helpful. That's like the core of the Ashtanga yoga practice though, is like you do the same thing every day and every day you get a little bit better, I thought. Yeah, I know. We discussed that topic, if that's actually true or not. That's what we discussed on the podcast. And also how his practice changed with fatherhood, because he had just become a father. He, they, he had just had his his baby. Well, he didn't have the baby. Deepika did. Oh, and, and I can't imagine having a baby. 
Deepika, I think, is also in our top podcast, but not number five. Oh, it's a shame. Yeah, She's really, I, she was really cool. Yeah. Deepika, Rebel Rebel, came in at number 12. <laughs> Sorry, Deepika, but you were number 12, Mark Roberts' wife, Deepika. You can listen to her Rebel Rebel, which was also a very good podcast. I didn't even come in like top 25 or 30. No, sorry. Your your interview is not up there. So what came in at number four? What came in after Mark? So after Mark, Dina Kingsburg, another Australian. Oh, yeah, that is another Australian. Yeah. So one thing, Harmony, I think that you should try and try and think about is like, I think what makes these podcasts so popular yeah. is when people really speak to the heart and they really <laughs> tell their truth. Because if there's one thing that I think about with Dina Kingsburg is she'll fucking tell you exactly how she feels. Yeah. She'll like go right into your heart with it. Yeah. So we all have fear of death and we all have a fear of the unknown. And I almost feel like a life well lived is a life that prepares us to embrace death Mm -hmm. without fear. And so as a yoga teacher, I feel like I am an educator of life, helping people to reach their full potential through um, self-mastery and self-empowerment and clarity of mind encouraged to make choices that aren't always the easiest. So it felt like a natural enhancement of my uh, dharma to be Mm -hmm. able to then, and also I'm getting older and the people around me are getting older. And yoga teacher, you can become a significant person of stability in other people's lives. And so therefore you might well be called upon you know, to hold someone's hand or be supportive whilst they're losing someone or whilst they're dying themselves. And that's what I found happened for me, that as my community were going through different stages of of illness and passing, I was called upon to, to play a part. And so becoming a death walker was completing that education so that I had more of a full range of information to offer those people a support. So that's, that's what a death walker is, yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. But I'd like yeah. to be a life walker first, huh? For a yeah. <laughs> I think you kind of have to be a life walker to be a death walker. That was episode number 68. I was so terrified of Dina. I was really nervous for that oh, one. So I think, I don't know if it came I across, but I admire her was, so much. Yeah. I, I admire her class so much. We were in the house that she hand-built and the whole time that I that I was walking around in her home, I was terrified of her. And like, you know, it's just it was, it's just a really special friendship. Yeah, she's amazing. Connection. I think we we're both just in total awe and it's, respect. It's amazing what kind of um, stone houses you'll construct to protect yourself. <laughs> yeah, good point. But that's how the light gets in. That's how the light gets <laughs> through in. Through the cracks. Through the cracks. Between of the, the stone stones. Home. That's like a whole metaphor. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So if you haven't mm. listened to Dina, you should go back and listen. So then coming in third from the top. Someone beat Dina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hard to believe, but. When I say who's came in at number three of the top most listened to podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah then you might not be surprised 
Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe you will be. But that was Guy Donahue. What? Are you insane? (laughs) (laughs) I I think that I was a little insane at that time. You were all insane. That's the thing. (laughs) Insane. And do you know what I was trying to do, Russell, in that time when I met you? I was trying to Mm -hmm. teach as authentically like the way I was taught by Patabi Joyce in Mysore. And the fact that I, I instilled night terrors into you, um, my God, I, <laughs> there's no surprise. And I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought, I, I thought, this, was, I thought this was correct. And, uh, you know, my whole thing was I didn't really believe in myself as a teacher at all. Um, I never really have done. It's very convenient mm-hmm. to say, well, look, here's a system that's perfect. Let me, let me do that to you. And uh, I was okay mm-hmm. at the end of it. I hope you will be too. That's such a, that is <laughs> such a, that is really um, not taking the right responsibility with your life and with your soul, I believe. And none of us are, are qualified to do that. Um, you trusted me. I trusted Patabi Joyce. Mm-hmm. I almost said, do it to me, Patabi Joyce, because, you know, I already feel like death. Mm-hmm. You can't make it any worse. And, you know, maybe if I feel this pain mm. in my body intensely, then my mind will get free. It's just sort of what you were saying. But mm-hmm. that is so masochistic. What a way. You know, I think a lot of young mm. people are mas- extremely masochistic because we are just in such a mm-hmm. desperate state of no hope. And then we're attracted mm. to something violent because, you know, for that same reason, we feel violent towards ourselves because we're not, you know, we're not happy with who we are. Mm-hmm. So we welcome it from somewhere, somewhere else. Um, Russell, I mean, I, I tra- treat you with a lot of love and mm-hmm. I feel also compassion, um, but I feel it was wrong. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where you are today with it, but I feel it was wrong. I didn't, don't feel it had to be that way. I feel there's other ways and quicker ways. And we, I feel that we addicted ourselves to that continuing, something of that continuing approach for, for, for far too long. Because, yes, it's good for a few years, your body goes through changes, and then you plateau. I think that's when you have to stop, or that's when you have mm-hmm. to think about pranayama, meditation, other things. This drive to continuously improve, to to uh, get better in your physical body, just becomes a very narcissistic endeavor, I believe. Why would you spend two, three hours of a day just perfecting your body when uh, the rest of your life is in a mess? Most of us were just kind of running away. I think getting into yoga when we went to India. You know, I felt like the thing about Guy that was so interesting was that. I came into the episode like really wanting to pay my respects to him as a man, as a teacher, as a formative presence, just like Dina was a formative presence for you and your youth, that Guy was a formative presence for me. And I, I wanted to extend how deeply grateful to him I was for his teaching. Mm-hmm. Yet, conversely, mm-hmm. he wanted to almost apologize to me for his teaching. Yeah, that was an interesting dynamic, wasn't it? Yeah. And I feel like that's like, it's like, it's kind of, you know, a heart and center body and soul of our Shtangiga community today is that dynamic is like the feeling, gosh, it's almost like parenting. <laughs> yeah. Where you, where you want to replicate your experience to a new generation. And yet you also don't want to just, 
you know, replicate your experience, replicate your experience. Of tra- you know, you don't want to re-traumatize or traumatize freshly the yeah. new generation. And yet, like with our son, I want him to have the same experience that I had as a kid. So I want to subject him to my experience. Yeah, but that's never going to be the case. Everyone is individual and has individual experiences, unique experiences. That fucking and pisses me off every time. <laughs> times are different now. And I think that's what really stood out for me in an interesting way was just the evolution of perspectives and people And, you know, I found the whole thing very interesting because Guy and Eddie, but mainly Guy, wrote that entire book called Guruji. And it's almost like why we created the podcast was to to keep creating chapters. Kind of, but from a slightly different perspective because we created the podcast after a lot of stuff came out during the Me Too movement and... Um, oh, yeah, and you couldn't like write anything at Instagram anymore without getting flamed. That's right. But you could do long-form three-hour podcasts, <laughs> yeah. as, and then there would be like like deeply deep context for each episode. Yeah. And so it was kind of harder to to rag on somebody for... <laughs> after you listen to them for three hours? After you listen to the whole thing. Like, there's a lot of nuance there. So let's go, let's move on to number two. Number two, I don't know if this will surprise anyone. I think it's well-deserved. Tell me. Was Richard and Mary. In the Buddhist teachings in particular, the idea of fortifying the spaciousness, the vastness, and the tenderness of heart um, is, is... at the foundation of so much of the teachings, as it is in yoga, like as it is in the Gita, the heart um, in the very end of the Gita, you know, it's come to me, drop, essentially come to my heart. We are one. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that, sh- that surprised me the most mm-hmm. about that podcast was finding out that Mary was Julia Child's protege. Yeah, that was really surprising. Like, Mary was there at Cordon Bleu. Yeah, she was actually an, like an assistant for Julia for a while, I think. I can't wait <laughs> for Mary to cook something for me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, hint, hint. <laughs> I remember the other thing. The other thing is, like, at one point, like, I really wanted to, like, to, like, excavate and dig out of Richard, like some some morbid death talk. Can can you describe what this this quote means? Why is it that it's on your page? Well, we all carry in our subtle body, deep inside of us, we carry all beings, and we know that all beings are ultimately us or the same as us, even if they're someone you know who is not very nice. Um, what we think is not very nice. And so if we reject them, even if they're totally rejectable, um, <laughs> we're rejecting part of ourself. Hmm. And that has a repercussion in our body or in our embodiment in that it creates a certain pattern or samskara that then keeps reappearing, uh, often in what we would consider to be a, a subconscious or unconscious way that we project out onto others. 
And that projection is often those others are other beings that we've reduced to just our formulas or ideas about them, uh, just as we do to ourselves. And so when we reject even those people who are not very nice, we are doing it also to ourselves, and we're unable to find compassion, sympathy. And I think Solzhenitsyn was doing this because the arrival of Stalinism, Leninism, was based on the hatred of others, you know, blaming others, and eventually even intellectuals, academics, scientists, thinkers, they had to be rejected because they ultimately were the enemy because they stood in the way of their theory of progress for the people. Hmm. And so in order to serve the people, we have to uh, kill millions and millions and millions of them. Uh, And so that was a problem. I loved both of our conversations with Richard and Mary, and we should really have another one because we are due. We are long overdue for some Richard and Mary inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. You can check out their YouTube channel if you don't know that. They have a lot of really amazing conversations on there. So just just a little plug for Richard and Mary. It's just been such a reward to to be friends with, with Richard and Mary and to make their acquaintance. Yeah. Yeah, it was an honor. Another big honor. Mm. Okay, so coming in at number oh, one. Number one. Number one. Did we interview Valerie? Did she come in at number one? <laughs> Valerie hasn't been interviewed yet. Oh, we yet. haven't interviewed her yet. <laughs> but um, coming in at number one is... Did we interview Sarah Mourner? Did she, is she at number one? She's not at number one. We didn't one. interview her either. No. Okay. <laughs> mm. Is the OG of the, the Ashtanga Yoga world... Fighting for center stage, <laughs> Eddie Stern. Eddie. And I'll yeah. Be Your Mirror. I'll Be Your Mirror. Yes, because we talked a lot about Lou Reed. Oh, man. Which was amazing. When Julian did the Berlin show at St. Anne's Warehouse, he invited us to that. And we went and afterwards, backstage afterwards, or at the reception after, he introduced me to Lou and said, this is my yoga teacher. Um, we should do some yoga with him. And we said, okay, yeah, you know, um, give me a number. And I was like, I'm never going to hear from this guy again. Right. And then I started going over there. And of course I was super intimidated in, in the beginning, yeah. but um, he just, you know, I would come in and he'd say today, I need to stretch and meditate and breathe. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> and then we would do whatever we could do. Cause his body was, you know, had some, had some damage, yeah. um, car accidents and touring and all this stuff. Um, and then, um, yeah, the last time I saw him was about two weeks before he passed away. And Lori, who also became a friend, um, a, a dear friend, she was with Lou when he died in um, their place in the Hamptons. And they were sitting on the beach. And, you know, he they were both devoted to Tai Chi. And uh, in his final moments, he was doing Tai Chi with his hands, like looking at the sun um, oh. as he passed away. Oh. Can you imagine? So beautiful. That whole episode was so rock and roll and so yeah. punk. Like well, it started. That's Eddie, rock and roll. It and was punk, just. It you know? started. We didn't have a beginning. Didn't have an ending. <laughs> we barely just, got the recording and out. Just rocked in, and then he like. As soon as it ended, he shut the, the computer. And it took us weeks to get the audio. <laughs> 
back from the cloud. I had to text Eddie like 500 times. <laughs> I was, it was like, it, it, but there was something really special about that kind of rock and roll, like living yeah. on the seat of your pants, yeah. on the edge, balls out. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I think that was that was it. And we started talking about art and then it morphed into yoga and music and it was like it was really really profound in many ways. We talked about kind of this disillusion of um I guess the Mysore scene, mm-hmm. the Mysore mm-hmm. climate, mm-hmm. um what's happening in India. We talked about hierarchy, we talked about um practice and and eddie saying that he he found the practice quite rigid yeah and exhausting maybe like and he he, said sometimes now i just jump to the right instead of to the left (laughs) and everyone was like whoa Whoa. (laughs) yeah it was also emotional too it was deeply emotional that he was sitting in front of a julian schnabel painting that was worth more than his apartment was like that was the most emotional piece for the whole show for me yeah didn't someone give it to him julian schnabel he actually gave him the fucking gave him the painting no but see that that was your cue you missed your cue that was a comedy moment that actually wasn't the most (laughs) emotional all right okay do it again again. i'm not gonna do it again do the bit again no i did the bit already now you have to say the thing Oh, but the most emotional moment wasn't like the whole apology thing that you guys did yes, together? Yes, it was actually the apology thing. This, yeah. this joke's been crucified. <laughs> when we first started doing the podcast, I had a kind of idea of what I wanted, of what I thought, how I could contribute to what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And you wanted to do a space to, to do what? Why did you even call it Finding Harmony? Well, I called it Finding Harmony because, to me, that's really what the yoga is about. And, of course, my name is Harmony. So Mm. it's Mm. finding myself, of course, through the practice of yoga. But really, I mean, Harmony in the bigger context of many different pieces coming together to create a beautiful symphony or a beautiful piece of artwork or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a harmonious union. It, it requires different tones and different rhythms and different tastes and different, right? And it comes together and it makes this perfect, beautiful whole. Right. And to me, that's what the entire practice of yoga is, is really drawing together all these divergent different parts that on their own are just a piece of something or maybe even doesn't taste very good on its own. But when you bring it into union with all these other pieces and bits and parts, then you get this beautiful harmony. And I think that's what we're trying to do within ourselves Mm -hmm. is find and welcome back all these lost, uh, rejected, divergent parts. I felt like when we started the podcast back in 2020, that this is what we were doing even in our community, Mm -hmm. that we were drawing back together all of these lost, divergent, differing opinions and voices. And, you know, I love Sherrod. I hate Sherrod. I love Guruji. I hate Guruji. I like Saraswati. I love Saraswati. Mm. I hate Saraswati. I like you. I don't like you, right? Like mm. all of these these various opinions, experiences. I had a good experience. I had a bad experience. I had a confusing experience. I had right. a blissful experience. Like whatever it was, we were bringing them all together to really create a masterpiece and create 
a symphony a of voices, a tapestry. Yeah. yeah, that was beautiful and was giving uh, a bigger picture, right? From not any particular perspective, so to speak. Everybody's experience was welcome. Everybody's voice was welcome. And I feel like that's what it is still today is really finding harmony within ourselves, the inner harmony, and then bringing that into our world as well so that all the voices and all the people and all the the pieces can come back together and and find union, find wholeness, find home. I just wanted to make dick jokes. <laughs> yeah, we know that. About I was you. looking for comic relief. That's what I, I thought it was. I thought it was a. I thought it was like a. Uh, there was an, a platform for me to showcase the funny, and like, oh, there's a way for me to be funny. And like, yeah, I can interview people, like I can ask questions about them. So I was looking at like a couple of podcasts, like Mark Maron's What the Fuck podcast. Yeah, that's funny. And I was funny. looking at uh, Jason Bateman Will, and Will yeah. Arnett's um, and Sean uh, Hayes' Smartless podcast. And I was thinking about things that they were doing yeah. that were interesting, questions that they were asking. And one of the things that I, th- I felt like I observed was like that Mark Maron liked to talk about the old days and talk about difficult experiences and see if there had been reconciliation reconciliation if people had kind of come to terms of who they were mm-hmm. if people had, had become resolved if yeah. there was resolution which i felt was similar to what the finding harmony podcast could be yeah because we have all of these friends hundreds of friends who do ashtanga yoga just like comics have hundreds of friends who do comedy yeah we have hundreds of friends who do ashtanga yoga or other sorts of modalities mm-hmm. and we could talk about what happened 20 years ago yeah. and say well that was fucked up <laughs> yeah and so bringing eddie onto the show yeah was like for me like that was the dream mm-hmm. where you have Mark Marin <laughs> and Louis CK come on to the WTF podcast and they apologize to each other for being real dicks to each other yeah. and that was that was how Mark Marin became the number one podcast in the country at one point it was right after that podcast right and so I thought I want to do that yeah. I want to apologize to Eddie live on air yeah it was like your heart's desire coming true. You manifested it. Well, he fucking undercut me and apologized first, and that was not what I had in mind. But <laughs> didn't know he was going to fucking steal my thunder that way. But he really jumped in with his own apology first. I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, that was good. It was a very dramatic episode, so I can see why it's number one. Of course, everyone loves Eddie. Yeah. And, um... I just couldn't imagine what it was like in Mysore on that Sunday when it was released, and and you know hearing Eddie talk about the you know his thoughts about Ashtanga Yoga that were at that point you know so deviant. Yeah, from it was pretty radical. Or, the orthodoxy from what yeah had previously been uh, so, bespoke yeah. about. Yes, previously been spoke about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. We should find some more people that you were a dick to and bring them on. You, you, it's a literally an infinite list of human <laughs> beings that I've... I mean, it's not infinite. I haven't met an infinite number of human beings, but like, <laughs> if you think about the number of human beings that I've met and have been dicks to... Dicks to? Like more than one? <laughs> well, it's every one of them. It's like Warren Beatty in that, in that movie. Um, is it called Soap Dish? Or know. shampoo. Shampoo. And Goldie Hawn says to um, 
to Warren at the end of the film, like, how many girls did you have sex with? I fucked them all. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrible. It's terrible. But like, yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been a dick to all of them. And I need I to apologize. Know. It's like a like a like a uh, AA meeting. I need yeah. to apologize to every human being, that's, especially the ones that listen to the fucking show. <laughs> yeah, maybe the ones that don't like you don't listen. Probably. <laughs> well, they've listened to one or two, and they gave up. They gave up. They they wrote in complaints. Yeah, they did. <laughs> um, <laughs> my favorite complaint was the girl who complained about how many f bombs I used in Greg Nardi's interview, and they're like, we had to actually have. To sit down and talk about how you know how much I swear on the podcast. Like, uh, <laughs> that's a shame. Yeah, that that I was, was also a... accused of fat shaming Greg, which was really upsetting. Yeah, sometimes we get misinterpreted. Because I was like, man, I, but like it was within the context of like I had been heavily fat shamed. Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was cool to fat shame somebody. It's like here you're being fat shamed. It's like then people were saying like, well, you tr- you triggered Greg. Yeah, you re-triggered f- him. It's like he was. He wasn't re-triggered. Maybe. No, I don't think think he was re-triggered. That was a very... We talked to him for like an hour afterwards. Yeah. And like often, that's the thing maybe our listeners don't really realize is we typically talk to people for some time before. Yeah. And then often, especially in the old days, when we were doing, you know, longer episodes and our first episodes, and especially during the COVID yeah. season we would often we talk for very, like three hours we were very lonely people <laughs> mm. and so we would talk sometimes for like another hour or two after we stopped recording because that's yeah. really where we get all the juicy that best was the stuff. juicy gossip <laughs> is the time after the day after the day after yeah. well wow. what was one of your favorite podcasts one that came to mind, speaking of, speaking of comedy, is like recently, I think in the last, say, 50, 25 podcasts, we've gotten online with somebody and you could sort of see the person kind of stealing themselves for the litany of abuse that I'm about to subject them to, you know, mm-hmm. in my comedy stylings. Yes. <laughs> it was like, oh, Especially okay. if they listen, they kind of <laughs> yeah, know what know, they're up for. Especially the listeners. <laughs> like, okay, here we go. And But one person who really, like, threw me and, like, came ready to, like, to to punch back. Yeah. Megan Marshall. Yeah, she was hilarious. Oh, my God. That Canadian. She had us crying in tears, July laughing so hard. July 16th, 2023, <laughs> Megan Marshall came on the show. We wanted to talk to her about, like, stroking out and, like, almost yeah, dying. She had a stroke practicing. And that was, like, ta- tell us about that, you know. What, the, yeah. what was that like? You know, and like, but instead, she just like every time I made a joke, she punched me right in the nuts. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh my god, this lady came to fucking fight. Yeah, she was so funny. Did not, did not pull her punches at all. So that was really, that was really. I look back with such fondness mm-hmm. on how um, acerbic she was. I got to the car. And I knew I had to get in and I could see the door handle of the car, but I couldn't open it. I just couldn't even figure out how to arrange my hand to like manipulate the handle. And I remember thinking, this is nuts. I actually can't get into the car. Wow. You're you're right-handed, right? I'm right-handed. And you would have used your right hand. 
I would and have, and have I made, just that wouldn't have made any sense. I just yeah. couldn't. I was like, I and I knew. I just looked at him, and then he's like, "You can't open the door." And I was like, I just shook my head. He came around. He opened the door. He went in, <laughs> and then he wanted my keys. And then I looked into my purse, and there were three items in my purse: my wallet, my phone, and my keys. And I knew they were three distinct objects, but I couldn't assign significance to right. them, so I couldn't select my keys. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so bitchin'. Right? Yeah. That's crazy. That's so amazing. Our brains yeah. are incredible things. They're incredible. They? Well, how about you? What what you have you got another have you got another one to add to the list? Yeah. I mean, I think some of my favorites. I love I loved our podcast with Luke. And we've done oh, two podcasts hell. with Luke, which I'm so happy about. Luke's just so profound and listening to his story about what brought him to yoga, which was basically a, a break, a complete breakdown, a complete loss of personality and identity, which... A psychotic break. A psychotic break, yeah. If he was in India, per se, he might have been lifted up as an enlightened guru. Yeah. But he was in Ireland, and so it wasn't... It's just like back to work. They didn't know how to interpret <laughs> what just, was going they on. They just put him in a sanatorium. That episode was called The Empty Mirror. Mm. And that was our first episode with him. And then we did another one more recently that was also just beautiful. What I'm learning from yoga is being unlearning rather than yeah. learning. Mm. I mean, I do a hell of a lot of learning, but my learning is good for nothing. You know, I can learn. I mean, I spend a lot of time like learning this Veda and that Veda and this Sanskrit and that Sanskrit. But ultimately, my knowledge is good for nothing. It's just knowledge. Mm -hmm. And it, it has nothing to do with uh, how much I love. You know, I, I would say that's that's the, the real thing of importance. And that, unfortunately, after 20, no, nearly 25 years of doing Ashtanga yoga practice, that's where I'm a beginner. Mm. You know, I'm advanced in yoga asana. I'm advanced, you know, in certain areas of scholarship. You know, I'm a master in this. I'm a master in that. But in love, in life, I'm a beginner. I'm learning. I've got my, you know, my stabilizing wheels on my bicycle. <laughs> and, you know, after learning all of these things, it's like, okay, that's what we're here for. Mm -hmm. yeah you know that's what that's what we're really here for we're yeah. here we are in life and you can use the practice as a way of avoiding life completely yeah uh, of di of being disconnected from life sorry i can't live because i got to do my practice tomorrow mm -hmm. and so just like that coming into luke's space yeah, yeah. is kind of magic yeah. And it is this richly, deeply philosophical place where your heart opens and your brain empties. That's, that's <laughs> something that, that reminds me that each, each of the 200 podcasts that we've done has been an entry into a whole universe mm. and into an, an individual's planet that they've constructed yeah this is their personality and when you talk to them you enter their world mm -hmm. and the pot and the listener also enters their world and 
with Luke, you do, you, you're entering the Luke time. You're entering the Luke time continuum. <laughs> and when we're hanging out in Mysore, as we did for months on end, yeah. just eating chapatis, hanging out, like looking for a Kingfisher beer, you know, <laughs> like whispering, like, Luke, Luke drinks beer. <laughs> and like, you know, like just little, you know, and like, but what you realize with Luke is that he's in a, he's in a tonal space where every sentence that comes at him is an opportunity for mystical deconstruction. Yeah. And he's going to then respond to it, given the space. And the podcast is that space. And he was just fucking letting it rip. Yeah. And I, I we, we were, it would be like when we'd get off the, the, the show with him, it would be like walking on water. We just yeah. like float up air, uh, you know, upstairs and like, and you just talk about the podcast for hours afterward about what it was like and real yeah. special ones like that. It would really do that to us. Mm -hmm. Like, can you just all of the different facets of what made the conversation interesting yeah. and compelling and made it made us feel like as, as hard as this is to get up for another, you know, three hours to record this week, you know, with all the other stuff that we have to do. You know, like making an income. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> this is what we do in our spare time. <laughs> this is what we do in our spare time. But, like, the conversation was reason enough to do it. Yeah, and I think I think you bring such an interesting picture. And, and it really is like that. When you sit down with someone um, and have a conversation really about, like, them and their experience. And you're so interested in, in just understanding the world from their point of view and what made that person that person it is like entering an entirely different world and you kind of are able to open that that door into this magical kingdom mm -hmm. of whoever that person is yeah. and and really feel it and taste it and be with it yeah. as much as it's being transmitted by that person and I hope that our listeners are able to feel that and be with that too. I think they are, which is probably why they keep listening because it is a really special experience to just hear what is coming from someone's heart or their memories or their thoughts, their feelings mm -hmm. and and from a very honest and emotional place. Another person like that was was Dr. John Campbell. Yeah. Like you we really entered a whole world and we entered his space, and it was so cerebral, but self-aware, yeah. vulnerable, yeah. but but just astounding intellect. That's you've been incredibly honest and and incredibly generous with your spirit and your time and your intellect. And I'm, I love you, brother. And I love you too. And I, I just have to say, like you know, my my honesty is. Uh, is uh, simply you drew it out of me. I feel like I've been on sodium pentothal the whole time, you know. <laughs> I like I probably I'm gonna probably live to regret, but um, no, I mean I really I, I care a lot about you, Russell and Harmony. I'm so glad to have met you too. I hope I get to see you guys sometime soon. And by the way. We have a brand new president. You can come back now. It's all right. <laughs> I, do you remember I mm -hmm. sobbed in that interview? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just broke down and started crying. And I had to, and I, li- I re-listened to the podcast mm-hmm. recently and I was like, you can't quite hear what I'm going through. Yeah. But I'd asked John to do a, um, a ceremony for my, oh, my yeah. friend that had yeah. died of COVID. Mm-hmm. And he had done that for us and then yeah. just talked beautifully, immaculately yeah. off the cuff yeah. about the purpose of these of these uh, rituals mm. and what they're good for. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, this guy is extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. today Amazing. actually I texted John uh, this this sentence. I said, <laughs> John, what are your thoughts about Jesus? <laughs> Yeah. And so we're going to talk to John next week about his thoughts about Jesus. We're so excited. Yeah, we need to we need to talk to John more too. Again, we're going to have him on the podcast again. Yeah, and it's so fascinating, like just this collection of humans that we've connected with, and some of them are just profoundly deep thinkers and educated, or have just like very intense experiences, life experiences that have changed the way that they see things and interact with people or interact with life itself. And it's so wonderful. It's such an honor to be able to sit in their presence. And really, it's kind of the essence of Upanishad, right? Mm -hmm. Upana, sitting next to. Yeah. Shat, sitting. Yeah. yeah, and it changes you. It changes you when you are able to spend time, even online, even via a podcast or audio or video, and you spend time with someone, not time. I mean, that's the other thing. We're not multitasking, right? Mm-hmm. We're just really like with the person yeah. and and being with them. And it's it's this beautiful expression of yoga and and wisdom is derived from that space and time with someone (laughs) and i remember a a podcast that we did we did one with shelly washington yeah i have absolutely no regrets as a dancer i did it all i did everything that one could do as a dancer and i have total fulfillment with that i danced with martha graham's company when i was 19 after juilliard for a year i left that to join twyla tharp and I've been paid 52 weeks a year by Twyla Tharp since 1975. I've been with her for 45 years. I mean, <laughs> I don't... Incredible. She should raise her salary some, but yeah. Well, no, but actually now I, I, I don't, you know, we, she doesn't have a company. So I do, I, I work for her when there are pieces that need to be set and staged. But in my career with her, I did the movie Hair. We did a Broadway show, Singing in the Rain in which I played Cerise, we did television projects. So I had a, a full career. We've traveled the entire world, South America, Asia, all of the States, all of Europe. Um, so it was fulfilled. When I retired, I was good. I started I just- yoga when I was in my late 40s. And perhaps my body images came from maybe not being able to do things that younger people could do or having to move slower into it and maybe not getting as far in the practice as I would have liked to have gotten. So it's interesting that I didn't really have that in dance. I had it more in yoga um, because I feel like I couldn't quite understand at the time that yoga was something that was really 
for me, for my body, much more of an internal practice, and that it was what I needed for me and not a show. Um. It's fascinating, like coming to the practice Mm -hmm. out of your dance career and then um, still having all of those patterns and like habits of thinking and samskaras with you from dancing and and excelling at dance. And then yoga is similar, but kind of different, right? (laughs) I I would actually say, I think many dancers who do yoga suffer from it you know a lot of dancers that come into yoga are beat up man we're beat up our our knees are bad our back is bad uh there there really is a lot of body issues um i didn't personally have them i didn't have that problem look i was dancing with twyla and with martha eight ten hours a day uh every day and then of course if we were in the theater and doing a run for a couple of weeks or something we were performing at night finishing at 10 30 eating dinner getting up taking class at 9 30 in the morning rehearsing from 12 to 4 or 5 going to the theater getting ready warming up again performing all night eight shows a week or whatever you're doing so i didn't i didn't have anything of that um and i actually had a very healthy career in terms of injuries Again, more of my stuff came from yoga. I just didn't learn how to stop pushing. But can I ask you, before digging more into that, was it difficult to transition from ballet into modern? Did you, that that open hip thing, was that something that, that upset you at the time? Or did you feel like you knew the direction that you should go? You're such a good uh, interviewer. This is such a good question. (laughs) Wow. Um, I'm going to be really, really honest. I have never really said all this before. I had a teacher in 1969 that told me that I would never be a ballet dancer because of the color of my skin. Wow. And that's all I really remember. I remember the place. I remember the conversation. I remember the teacher. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's 1969. I was 14. And I love ballet. And anyone who knows me knows I love I weep at the ballet. I mean, I sit at the ballet when I sit. I used to sit with Baryshnikov because he was the director when I was there. And I was a a rehearsal director after I retired. I stayed at American Ballet Theater as one of their rehearsal directors for all of Twyla's rep. And I would watch these dancers and I would see in rehearsal and their hair is falling down and they have all their schmatzas on and everything. And then you'd see them in, you know, Giselle or Sylphie and they're all, they were so beautiful. And I would cry and he couldn't believe that I would cry. You know, <laughs> I, I love it. I, I did ballet every day of my life. That's how I, I warmed up and trained and kept my body. It was like playing the scales on the piano. It's just what I did. I didn't feel bad actually. Russell, I felt like, okay. He said, you have a beautiful body. You have beautiful feet. You have beautiful proportion. You have a natural ability to move. You have everything. You should be a modern dancer or a Broadway dancer or be an actress. Mm -hmm. And I went, okay, I'm going to just keep doing ballet. And I mean, I was taking modern dance classes at Interlochen anyway. Mm-hmm. And I just went that direction. And honestly, the kicker of the whole story is that 20 years later, at 34 years old, Baryshnikov brought me into American Ballet Theater as a soloist. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. I had Enormous. a great career. 
enormous and, sense of, of um, legitimacy to that, to, the, to that Misha picking you out like that. Well, you know, he, Twyla came in to be his associate director to ABT and she had disbanded her company and she brought a few of her dancers into American Ballet Theater at that time. Yeah. Bigger to the point, and I'm, you know, I don't know who this is to, but um, Misty Copeland, who is a yeah. woman yeah. of color, uh, is in American Ballet Theater now and she was in the core. She was a soloist after that, which is the next tier, if mm-hmm. you will. And she's the first woman of color to be a principal dancer in American Ballet Theater. So if you wanted to give this man some kind of, mm, mm-hmm. she's the first one there, right? And how many years later was that? Yeah, quite a few. Oh. <laughs> you know, from 1969 to when she became, a, I don't remember what year, but it hasn't been that long. I yeah. mean, it hasn't been 10 years, I don't think. You're already crying, and I don't know if the <laughs> listeners at our home know, can see that you're crying. Why are you crying? What is it about Shelley? <laughs> What's the connection there for you? I don't know. Something <laughs> happens. Because she, I know she deeply cares about you. Like, she loves and adores you. She always has time for you. And so, like, one of the best dancers of her generation cares and loves you. Is that why you're fucking sobbing right now? Maybe. <laughs> what is it? I don't know. Yeah, that is some, that's like a deep, weird secret about me. (laughs) That there is one person on the planet that can make me cry just by me thinking about her. Well, she loves you. I know, and I love her too. I love her deeply too. Do you profoundly need love? And like, to think of this one person that that offers you un, un, what do they call that? Unconditional love. Unconditional love. She offers that to you and you just like fucking sob? I don't know. Am I not enough? (laughs) I don't know. It's so interesting. I think there's, I think Shelly and I just have a very, very deep, deep heart connection. I don't know. I think there's something there. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's the dance thing. It's the yoga thing. It's being seen, being valued. Yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, she's someone, I don't know, who touches my heart in a very deep way. (laughs) That makes me cry every time I think or talk about her. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, she's, she is epic. She's epic. Mm -hmm. She is a human being who is absolutely epic. And so full of love and light, but also like really fucking real mm-hmm. and really um, hard. Mm-hmm. And and I think, yeah, she just just everything. I don't know. We just know things about each other. Yeah. At a soul level. Yeah. That's like both beautiful and painful. Mm-hmm. And we can. Communicate without words. <laughs> See, so I'm crying again. <laughs> I don't know. It's rare. It's it's just a rare thing to to know someone who you can talk to without words and like totally 100% like feel mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's weird. It's like otherworldly. It's a very strange connection. <laughs> mm-hmm. But definitely, if you didn't hear Shelley's episode, oh. <laughs> you should go back and listen to it. I'm probably crying in it also. <laughs> <Good>. yeah. <laughs> 
but it's amazing. I mean, she talked about kind of losing her practice and the, blowing her Achilles, yeah. dancing. And if you don't know, Shelley Washington is David Swenson's wife, so um, oh. who was also on the podcast episode number forty, and Shelley was before him. So yeah. you got to go way back to twenty twenty. I was a teenager when I met David. <laughs> I mean, I was. 18 the first time i saw a video so that's of david doing practice and being told this is the right way to practice and that was suda in in chicago it said this is a guy i think you'd really like and really and i little did i know that austin you know where i was austin texas is where you could find him that's where my mom had just moved (laughs) you know and i i found him there and sharon moon who was on the podcast sharon moon and i kind of became like a like a circle around david there Mm -hmm. and i I sold t-shirts for him once at a yoga conference and it was so intimidating at one point (laughs) he told me like if you just move this box over there and i couldn't speak because i was so intimidated of him (laughs) that i was like so awestruck that he was even telling me to move a box he looked at me like i was some kind of fucking idiot would you just move the box please (laughs) you know that's 30 years ago now yeah yeah i know looks exactly the same (laughs) (laughs) practice exactly the same way and i'm a mess i can't do anything i can't i can't even do upward dog anymore and he's out there he's still just doing his practice right next to shelly on her peloton machine every day doing it (laughs) yeah it was really it was really gracious of him to be on the show it was really sweet yeah it was wonderful definitely in our in our top favorite podcasts i think he's i think he's in the top of of theirs too he was number six. Oh, number six in, in the, just came in behind yeah. god of thunder yeah <laughs> surf and turf what the fuck is that because we were talking you named about it surf and turf yeah we were talking about surfing that's a food reference <laughs> I know. what the fuck is that <laughs> we were having fun uh, ty landrum gets life and death david swenson <laughs> surf and turf right. um Another podcast that I that I'm really fond of a, a um a person that I feel that whose soul I get and mm. I'm also I like being starstruck by her and awestruck of her which I think she really enjoys because she knows that she's not actually famous. Yeah. Like maybe like 14 <laughs> people know how incredibly famous she is. Yeah. Amy Echo, the punk rocker. Oh, yes, yes. Like, Who we've also done two podcasts with now. Yeah, two Actually, podcasts. three, because our first one, the recording, oh. got completely wrecked and we had to trash it. We had to do it over the so, next day, which is hell. <laughs> we met we her the again. the same conversation the next day. <laughs> well, it wasn't the same, but it was close. We tried. <laughs> yeah. But, it, you know, I, I, as soon as I met her and she told me that she was a punk rocker, I always treated her like she was a famous person. And she always kind of really thought that was cute. And yeah. She thinks of me like of her cute little brother and... <laughs> she tells us all these stories about, you know, the relationally famous, you know, like her husband was you know, a drummer for a day in, in Billy Ray Cyrus's band. Yeah. Or, you know, she, she met Ozzy Osbourne once. And, you know, <laughs> she's just really cool. And yeah. yet the other thing that that makes her so interesting is that like a lot of yoga instructors of our generation, I think we kind of looked out at our at our field of work and felt like, we kind of have to bring something else to this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the Mysore practice 
maybe isn't going to be enough because it's so competitive. The environment yeah. is so competitive. And you can't just come in with a fourth series practice and make $3,000 on a weekend plus 50% of the gate and an airplane ticket. Yeah, no. <laughs> People aren't doing that anymore. <laughs> no. The way that it used to be, mm -hmm. you know, that was the way that you did it. Yeah. You know, and you it, you can't be competitive that way with just a fourth series practice. You have to bring something else. Yeah. And that's a lot of instructors have other modalities. You know, whether it's Ayurveda, where it's physiotherapy, where it's a PhD in in body mechanics. It's it's um Amy is is bringing a, so much more to the basket now mm -hmm. in her teaching whether it's her total understanding uh, of the yoga sutras and how mm -hmm. um, our bodies and our minds and the different sheaths in which we our consciousness experiences the world, you know, she interprets that all through the lens of Patanjali's yoga sutras. Mm -hmm. uh, also now with this, what did we call it? The body dysmorphia, the... <laughs> body... Body design. Equanimity. Body equanimity. <laughs> You know, there's just like there's just so much more that that she has in her basket. You know, like we we interviewed Jean from Australia the other day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like people really have a lot in their basket now they bring to teaching. Yeah, and it's it's impressive. It is impressive. There's a lot of impressive teachers out there and and people you know who mm. are teaching yoga or in the yoga space or even just yeah creating personal transformation. Mm -hmm. I mean, the personal transformation space or personal development space, I think over the last 20 years has, I mean, grown exponentially. And it's not just froofy anymore. It has legitimacy because the, the, the science has developed so much from the 70s. Yeah. That you can actually point to areas of the brain that are improved. The efficacy of the practice is demonstrated and real. Yeah. And so you, you know, you know, American public policy can shift because the numbers are there to support it. And it's so different the way than it was in 1978. Right. Uh. And it's not just yoga. It's meditation. It's breath work. It's, you know, sound therapy. It's positive affirmations. It's, it's all of this. I mm -hmm. mean, there's so much science around it to show how it enhances our well-being yeah. and creates more positivity and that helps our immune system and it makes us more efficient in what we're doing and it makes us you know more creative mm -hmm. and there's all kinds of of amazing things to i mean what we've been practicing for 20 years really yeah 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 yeah. It it is cool though to talk to people who have different modalities who are not even you know kind of maybe a, essentially in the yoga space yeah maybe they they do other things that are um interesting that can bring kind of po positive emotional professional development to a person's life it's enriching yeah i think that was one of my favorite podcasts was with marie forleo because <laughs> because marie forleo you know she's not in the she's not a yoga teacher she's not in the yoga space per se even though she does practice yoga um, and she has been a, uh, she was like a Nike triath 
dancer, dancathon, 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 dance. She was in the Nike dancathon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> athlete, a Nike athlete doing dance, but um, but she's also a massively successful and highly sought after entrepreneur and coach for business. You've explained to me that she is the most famous person we've had on the show. Yes. I, but I've never heard of her. I know. That's the funny thing, right? And she, I mean, if you want to invite Marie Forleo to a conference you're having and have her do a keynote speech for however long, however long those speeches are, are they 20 minutes? Are they an They're hour? They're like 20 minutes. Right? Yeah. They're like 20 minutes, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like $30,000. It's incredible. <laughs> so... Mm. So, I mean, yeah, she's, I think, the most famous person we've actually had on our show. I, well, they should pay you Elizabeth Kadetsky $30,000 <laughs> or Ralph Craig, Dr. Craig $30,000. Yeah. Why, don't, why don't they pay those people? Those, they, were inter- they were great podcasts. They were great. I know. So that was mm. a big thing for me because it wasn't a yoga person per se, but it was someone who's um, an entrepreneur, a business coach, who's highly highly famous in the online entrepreneurial space and in she the business was so coaching space famous you wouldn't even let me be on the podcast as I remember. <laughs> yeah that's how famous she was yeah wow. mm. yeah and she's just a truly truly insightful beautiful human being who when you sit with her i mean that was one thing that i really really felt uh sitting with her you really feel like she has that guruji quality actually where huh. she is seeing into you and it's not about her it's actually about you mm-hmm. and she's really just like there with you and you feel like you're the only person in the room do you have anyone else that you want to call out yeah i have a few people i mean i think you called out ralph craig who was amazing oh. and that my, podcast really t- will forever be with me because of the editing it took to yeah. get it out there to the universe. You know, there was the, the Louisiana connection with him. But as we got on, I realized that it wasn't so much that as like his mind is, he's one of those profound human beings that arises in space mm-hmm. and everyone around them realizes what they have and they need to do something about it because it's special. I think talking to Ralph Craig was, I mean, it was special because also... His intellect is so massive. It's vast. That, I mean, I felt like so small. Mm. I was like, oh my gosh. How are we going to make this an intelligent conversation? (laughs) Where, you know, it's like a giant, you know, trying. He was, you know, being very patient with us. He's beautiful, beautiful energy. I just remember like one of the things that that he brought to the conversation was this kind of profound understanding of colonialism and appropriation which i was mm-hmm. not expecting him to talk about because we were there to talk about tina turner yeah which is what i thought we were going to talk about <laughs> and i thought maybe he was a professional dancer but he was not he was just he's a you know this massive intellect and scholar and he's a historian yeah. really and for him to kind of just as a sidebar demonstrate that what colonists do and what western civilization does is it goes to other societies other locations excavates Mm. those things and brings them back for mercantile reasons Mm -hmm. that's the that's the paradigm that that you and i are going to struggle to step out of when we leave canada or illinois 
Alberta or Illinois, <laughs> and and go to India, we can't help but be colonial in the way in which we interact in the environment. Mm. And we we excavate, yeah. we we dug that place for five <laughs> years, come back, and it's that it's the authority of having done a long archaeological dig that gives us the legitimacy as Ashtanga yoga teachers that we then sell as merchandise. Yeah, wow. And it was it was intense for him just as a kind of a sidebar to profoundly reveal Mm. our psychological makeup Mm -hmm. as white people. Yeah. It was like fuck. Yeah. That's a little bit intense. Yeah, it was awesome. He was he was incredible. The insights after that podcast blew our mind. I remember we talked about it for a long time. We went out for dinner and talked about it because yeah. it was just like mind blowing. And it, mind blowing. I know it's a bit long, folks, but really, you gotta listen to Ralph Craig's podcast, "Dancing in My Dreams." Dancing in My Dreams. That's the name of his book, also, yeah. which is a biography on Tina Turner because yeah. she was a Buddhist practitioner, and that yeah. was one of the areas um, that he was researching during his yeah. PhD. So, and incredible. And that, that we followed that podcast with another scholar, Elizabeth Kadetsky, who is, mm-hmm. who's studying um, artistic appropriation in statuary, and also just, it's people stealing the shit, not just appropriating it, but it's actually stealing the sculptures. Yeah. You know, the, it, it felt like, like one of, for it felt like we were actually becoming a kind of news organization <laughs> that's building... Um, a topical story and following a thread of investigative yeah. journalism. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is really kind of building now. And it was, yeah. it was, I feel like for me, 200 episodes now, mm-hmm. I feel like we have dramatically altered our own stance on how we feel about our own practice mm-hmm. through these conversations with these learned people. Like we've, yeah. we, we've, we we've transformed. Yeah, definitely. Have we found harmony? No. <laughs> still still going. Well, we got another two hundred episodes. I should say yes. Improv. <laughs> you're always supposed to say yes. Yeah. Yes and. <laughs> yes and. and. Yes and we have found harmony, and we are we're kind of much more I think adjusted to who we are and what we did, yeah. and what we want to learn more about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like that we're, you know, interviewing some people who have some other expertise as well, because although we've talked a lot about Ashtanga yoga practitioners and, and teachers here, there's a lot of wonderful human beings that we've interviewed along the way who aren't Ashtanga yoga practitioners, Mm -hmm. but I think have really added some interesting perspectives to the conversations mm-hmm. that we're having. We learned all about human design. Yeah. We've learned about gene keys. Uh, we yeah. learned about manifestation. I don't think you can really learn about those <laughs> things. Um, well, not we, in a kind of scientific way. <laughs> we tried. We're exploring. We're, uh, there are things that people are interested in. I feel like what we what there what there's a vacuum where our cult used to be, and that we're now looking for more <laughs> cults to kind of dip our fingers into. <laughs> well, mm. I want to give a few honorable mentions. Yes, please. Because the very very first interview we ever did was with Santina. Oh my God. Santina Jardina. That was Char. wild. And we did not release her 
as the first interview. She it was, was very released a little did. bit later on, but she, she was, was the first interview we ever did. Right, well, let's call her up again, see how yeah, she's doing. Let's we need to do in. that. That was back in July of 2020 that we released her. Four years ago. And then our second interview, which was actually released as our first interview, was with Lara Land. So, and we've mm. interviewed her twice, actually three times, once with her husband, Timo. Oh, we interviewed and Timo. And we did a retreat with them, but... Zen in the art of yeah. Porsche maintenance. <laughs> yes. And great. Lara also released her own book. She started a on podcast. On Trauma-Informed Yoga and started her own podcast, Beyond we're Trauma. Of, we're one of four million people on the planet who have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's good. So mm. that was amazing. And also our friend Zena, who we did a podcast with back in 2022 in March. Uh-huh. She was the reason why we started doing video. She oh. said, why don't you do video? You should release these on YouTube. Was she the dentist? <laughs> Retired. Now Retired Ashtanga dentist. yoga teacher in London. Oh, yeah. And that was also a really, really fascinating conversation about her parents and her family oh. um, meeting and coming from different backgrounds. Her and her husband, yeah, yeah, him being Greek, her being Mauritian. Mauritian, that's Mauritian. right. Mauritian, yeah. Yeah, um, and then growing up in in England in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't let don't let anyone fool you. It is an incredibly racist place. <laughs> I I mean, the same as anywhere, I guess. <laughs> right. People really get confused by the other. Yeah. If there's anything Patanjali has told us, is try and find the self in the other. Yeah. But it's really tough sometimes. You and I find it hard. Sometimes it's hard to find yourself within the other. And I also wanted to mention uh, Giovanna Heyman. Oh boy, is he is he the one where the where our listeners wrote in to say Russell even tries to out gay the gays? <laughs> Maybe. Like, oh man. <laughs> because that was a that was a, also a very emotional, very touching podcast. I think at one point we were both like misty eyed in it talking about his experience working with in like during the AIDS crisis and that's yeah. how he got into um, you know teaching more accessible yoga and it was I, it was deep it was very deep it has a place in my heart that one it br- I think we brought up my friend and student Frank Sclafani from San Francisco mm-hmm. who, had, who had died also fairly recently before Gene but it was that was kind of a you know, life-shaking event, having having Frank die. Frank had lived in San Francisco throughout the 80s and uh, as a gay man in, in the Castro. And so we, it gave us a kind of entree into the conversation. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was like a really, really, yeah, really amazing conversation and, and a different, like, opening up perspectives on yoga, right? Like, really, mm. he kind of created this, this phrase accessible yoga right and like what makes yoga accessible and what makes it inaccessible and i think that also kind of shifted our perspective about even the ashtanga yoga practice and Mm -hmm. it being a very ableist practice right like (laughs) and and is it accessible and can it even be made accessible and how and how much yoga i mean how much yoga is as sentina would say what's it gonna fucking take what's it gonna how much yoga do you have to do yeah. to be able to figure out that it's not about the body yeah. and what the body can do? Yeah. What's it going to fucking take? Yeah. And being disabled and doing an Ashtanga yoga practice, you get it right away. Yeah. Because you're not going to be 
Santina doing the fifth series of Shanga Yoga practice. Right. Let a, you know, or yeah. not you or Russell and Harmony or with their little <laughs> third series practices they did 15 years ago. It's really tough with this practice. to If you're going to use this practice as a yoga chikitsa, it's really tough to have things taken away from you. Mm. Still, even though you're using the practice to understand that things are temporary. Yeah, that's. I think that's like kind of the paradox we've definitely unraveled and uncovered here, mm-hmm. which is that, yes, we all know that yoga isn't about the body and it's about not being attached to your body. Mm-hmm. But then the more you practice... And the more attached you are to your practice, the more you're attached to your body. And then when something goes, whether it's the practice or the body, then you're faced with, again, this sense of of who am I or deep emptiness or struggling with self-worth or you're, you're faced with these same things if you're not healing that pattern at the root right it's just covering up that pattern and you're getting more attached rather than recognizing that it's empty yeah and that you ultimately it's not it's going it's it's not it's transient it's not permanent right the very first yoga text i ever opened was uh raja yoga by swami vivekananda yeah and he says it right (laughs) i right in the first page, that the problem with Hatha Yoga is that, yes, you can see the, the benefits that, that, that the Hatha Yogis live to 200 with black hair. Mm. Their hair, and they're looking very youthful. And I read that, and it's like, oh, I kind of, that's kind of what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. I want to do that. And yet, it's the problem with the attachment to the body and the vanity that comes with it that becomes the problem for the Hatha Yogi. Yeah. And it's still the same lesson. <laughs> Even today. Even today. I was 18 when I read the the, the Raja Yoga, and is inter- is, which is a translation of the Yoga Sutras by Patanjali. And 30, 30 years later, it's still the lesson. And it's still the thing that is extraordinarily frustrating mm. is to see the dissolution of the body and how painful that is for the ego to to endure and there's it's all wrapped up with so much resentment of the other that does all like looks like it does all those things easily i'm looking at some 25 year old who's like michael baidu is out there crushing it yeah and i was like oh fuck him michael we love you michael also another great podcast guest beautiful podcast guest and your immaculate self-taught practice (laughs) he's crushing it out there crushing it (laughs) fucking millennials And one more honorable mention. You have another one? Yeah. Emma O'Neill, who we Oh, the Halloween episode. (laughs) Yeah, on Halloween. Witch, witchy. Best sound quality (laughs) of every podcast we've ever had. She, the video came up and she was surrounded in a cocoon of gray egg forms. <laughs> she was, was like, in a sound holy booth. <laughs> shit, she has a sound booth. She came with a sound booth. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Amazing, right? She's out there winning national awards for sound quality. For voice. Voiceover <laughs> acting. Yeah. Best qu- and like best audio. Like, check man, it out. October 31st, check it. 2021. Check out the quality <laughs> of Emma O'Neill. And then man. 
One other funny one is um, the lost in translation. Oh, Lee Sung Un. Lee Sung Un. That's close. Uh, yeah. Actually, it's not even close <laughs> no. at all. Lee Sung Un. Yeah, that's better. That the last syllable is really the half has to come in the guts. That like that was like twenty minutes of of radio in an, two hours of translation. <laughs> that was our Korean <laughs> podcast. That was awesome. And so, if you speak Korean or you have God. students who speak Korean, they might enjoy it quite a bit. That was the most goddamn Korean thing we've ever done. <laughs> She's so Korean. And like trying to get her to talk about like the essence of Korean, which is Han. And like the goddamn country is named after Han. Hanguk. Hanguke. Hanguke. The land of the sad people. I was like, no, no, no. No one's sad here anymore, she said. It's like, no, no, it's a, come on. I think she knows. She knows how. God No, she knows if people are sad there or not sad there. Times it's, have changed since you've been there. It's just the Gen Xers who are sad. The millennials, they're all like Gangnam style and like they're not sad anymore. Yeah, well, they, times change. That's, that is the moral of this story. I wish I was a, famous <laughs> as a K-pop star and so sad with how much yeah. money I was making. That'd be amazing. One of my other favorite ones was episode 45 with Beryl Bender Birch. That was like eight hours long. That was also a really long one that we had to shorten down. And she, she was amazing. Life off. beyond power yoga. Went off. She had <laughs> all the stories. And for $4.99, you can get special access to the Finding Harmony Platinum page. Unedited, uncut version. There's an edited, uncut version of Beryl Birch naming names. He's an asshole. Pay the $4.99 and find out who he is. It's going to shock you. And he's been a guest. He has been a guest. Yes, yes. Oh, she was lovely. Oh she my was gosh. totally she lovely. Names. I know. We should. We get, had to cut that out. We should get Beryl back on. We gotta get Beryl. See, how, <laughs> let's find out how Beryl's doing. Yeah, we need to. We need to touch see base all, with Beryl. See who else. So, well, that's our reflection for all these fun episodes wow. and and fun guests that we've had. Two hundred. Four years. It's been. We're entering our fifth year now. Let's do this again in four years. Yeah, for our 400? 400, yeah, not 300. Maybe 300? Mm, no. We're going to come up with 300 more things to talk about. <laughs> well, thanks for chatting with me. <laughs> thank you for bringing the emotional presence. Franco, thank you for unloading finally. There's a lot there. There's some stuff. I think I should go to therapy. You should bring, bring the, you should, yeah, bring this out on the podcast. We can get you crying. <laughs> Every podcast, we'd double our listening base. So tell your friends, Harmony's going to cry more in the next hundred episodes. We'll try. We'll mm. we'll see. We'll see. Get Shelly back on. We'll but, make it happen. But thank you all for having a favorite episode. And just to say, it was really hard to go through and pick different people and different episodes oh as we were going through we just kept like thinking of every single person that we've talked to we're leave, you know this person and out or that person out we kept thinking of all the fun things and all the things we loved about them every and one of them is a unique jewel yeah we loved we loved every single episode i can honestly say that there has not been an episode that we have not loved 
<laughs> thank you so much. It's been just such a such a joy and pleasure to connect with you in this very intimate way. And thank you for inviting us into your homes, into your ear pods, AirPods. <laughs> it's really, this is the only time that Harmony and I talk to one another. And so that's what's cool about this. So thank you guys. <laughs> and until next time. Until next time. Have a great week. Love you guys. That's it. We've concluded another episode of the Finding Harmony podcast. I just want to thank you so much for doing the work that changes the world, starting with yourself. It truly does make a huge difference. Please make sure you have your automatic downloads turned on wherever you listen so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. I have so much more magic I can't wait to share with you. Lastly, if you're on Instagram, I love connecting and hearing from you. So come on over and say hello at Finding Harmony Podcast. And you can also come say hello to me personally at Harmony Slater Official. Thank you again for being here. I cannot wait to share more with you in our next episode.